Hello, welcome to Future Foodcast. We're a group of industry experts, food enthusiasts, and food technologists talking all about the future of food. Future Foodcast is sponsored by Farm to Plate, the brainchild of Paramount Software Solutions. Farm to Plate is a software company committed to creating tomorrow's food business ecosystem today. On today's podcast, I'm going to be interviewing a really, really fun guest. We have Dan Dickinson from Artera Wines Canada, and I want to welcome him to our podcast today. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Uh, We are glad to have you. You know, as CIO, some of us know what that is, but I think at Artera, you've kind of made that your own uh, title as far as description wise. Why don't you tell us all that you do do? Because I think it's a lot more than people might be thinking. Yeah, sure. Those three letters are doing some heavy lifting, uh, I think, in, in this case. So I my formally my title is Executive Vice President of Technology and Digital, which kind of sound like the same thing, uh, but in this case, they're not. So I handle both you know, the core technology things you'd think about for any company, the the networks, the the systems that, that our, our employees use, the ERP behind the scenes. But also part of what I came to do was, was lead the digital transformation at Artera. Uh, and so all the things that that entails, most of which don't actually have that much to do with technology. So, so I, I'm covering both of those things and we just sometimes simplify it and call it CIO. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, we do talk about the future of food, but there's a lot of technology going on with the future of food. So as far as digital transformation, I think our audience might be really interested to know, you know, what kind of form is that taking for you at Artera? Yeah, it's it's kind of a multi-year answer, really, uh, if we think about it. So my primary objective right now, or my first objective, I would say is is mostly about getting direct to consumer. So um, versus going through the kind of large provincial regulated boards that, that sell most of the wine uh, for us today, going direct to consumer in the ways that we always had by selling through estates and uh, you know through our own retail stores, now actually getting direct to consumer through online and mobile is an increasingly big uh, part of our business. And so, so that's, that's job one. But if I think about where this can go and where this gets really interesting, especially as the son of a farmer, um, if thinking about how we apply technology and, and, and digital thinking in the viticulture process, in the winemaking process, in the production facilities, you know, even more than we are today. So, so where that can go and where we're seeing really interesting use cases around the world all over ag tech um, is really starting to come to bear in wine as well. Uh, and that's, that, that is really the intersection of my passions of wine and nerdery around technology. So I'm pretty excited about it. It sounds like the perfect job for you, but let's back up a little bit for our audience because you are in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so that direct to consumer piece of it is a little bit different. If if you could explain for our listeners what the regulations look like in Canada, because we have all different countries listening to us. Sure. Yeah. And and just to level set. So we have 10 provinces and three territories and and each of the 10 provinces in Canada uh, of various sizes have their own one large kind of government owned, you know, seller of, of liquor. Um, and so we work obviously very directly with them. Some provinces have some private systems as well, but by and large, that's where most of our wine sales go through. So whether it's wine that we ourselves produce uh, and grow here in Canada and sell or brands that we represent here in Canada, like Robert Mondavi or Kim Crawford that come, you know, from around the world. So, so that's been the, I would say the de facto, that's, that's how most of the sales have happened. 
as we've been looking at going direct to consumer, there's the added wrinkle of all of these uh, regulations are provincial. So what you can ship from what to pro- which province to what is sort of a, a kind of a 10 column by 10 row grid that you have to figure out. So, so it's, you know, being careful to make sure that whatever you're doing still has to line up obviously to the regulations yeah. and your systems have to be able to accommodate that. And so, so that's been part of the complexity with, with what we're building and, and building that flexibility in. Yeah, just a, it is just a little bit more an extra check. You have to make sure that you're falling within the regulations. And I know every country has regulations, but I just wanted to explain how Canada's worked and uh, the whole B2C because it is centralized uh, in a lot of aspects. And like you said, Artera has a bit of a hybrid. You have uh, your own wineries and wine that you grow, manufacture, or, and and sell. And then you also bring in other makers wine that you distribute for them. Yes, so. that's, that's absolutely right. And so that complexity is, is, you know, it all has to be managed and ultimately it all hits an ERP in the back end. So that system has to, has to kind of flex for all these different needs, but it really was designed for this B2B world uh, where things are sort of daily batch and warehouse to warehouse. And so what we're looking at doing as we go more direct to consumer and responding to real-time needs is how do you maybe insulate some of that legacy uh, and and still give the consumer the experience they want uh, to actually get a bottle of wine show up on their doorstep. Right, because we consumers do want the bottles of wine to show up at our doorsteps. We do. Indeed, we do. Especially during the pandemic, that really accelerated this. Uh, where you know we saw reduced store hours and people weren't going to restaurants. Um, what we what we definitely saw, and that seems to have shifted the consumer demand probably permanently, is how do I get instead of ordering a case that shows up five days from now, how do I maybe get two bottles or four bottles that show up, you know, in 30 minutes, right? So that's that's been a, a shift that we've had to adapt to. Yeah, Dan, I don't think you're alone in that. I think we as consumers are. We were, it was all accelerated. We may have gotten here eventually. Worldwide pandemic certainly accelerated our use of, and also I will say acceptance of kind of the whole order and delivery thing. You know, some of us just love to, I'm not one of them, but some love to be the shopper and going out there and looking at everything that's available, even walking through the liquor store to see and read all about the different wines or whatever they're going to be buying, spirits. And um, I'm not one of them. I, I'm great with ordering online. I, I was an early adopter, uh, but I've seen people that did not do it now do and got so used to it that they really like it. They realize they're willing to pay a little more for some delivery or for the product in order to have it show up at their doorstep. Sounds like you're seeing the same thing with your consumers. Absolutely. And, and trying to figure out how, you know, if that's the need, how do you provide what they've always felt in that retail experience? So I, I live in Ontario. The store here is called the LCBO and, and they don't, they've done frankly a really fantastic job of, you know, giving that, that selection on the shelves and helping people, helping guide people to what they might like. And, and I've seen that in various provinces that I've visited so how do you take that that education part or the the breadth and and bring that to a digital medium where it might be on a phone? Um, it's one thing if it's a convenience order and I get the same thing every week. It's another thing if I want to explore. Well, I've tried Spanish wine. Maybe I want Portuguese wine. So how do you help kind of bring the customer through that journey? Or I, I like Cabernet Sauvignon. Maybe I also like Cabernet Franc. So how do you help them? through that journey that might be a little bit more natural in a retail state. So, so that really is, is part of the task, I think, of any digital you know, product owner or a person trying to guide that journey. 
and it's not new to this industry. I, mean, I, I worked in banking before it was the exact same thing. How do you explain complex products uh, to people in a, in a more constrained format and medium? Uh, so I'm trying to bring those lessons to bear here as well on something as, as infinitely complex and interesting as wine. That's true. That customer experience is an interesting nut to crack as far as trying to figure out how to, how to duplicate that, like you were saying online in the digital space. And I, I think about virtual reality or something like simulating, kind of looking at the bottle and being able to see what's there. I'm sure that you're geeking out over all the possibilities that there are. Yeah, no, exactly. If you think about the, the possibilities that augmented reality give you, for example, we've certainly seen examples in the past of using AR generated by the wine bottle labels themselves, um, even as simple as getting a QR code on the back of all the labels that actually points you to, you know, where is this wine made? Talk, you know, show me a video of the winemaker actually talking about the winemaker or, or talking about the, if it's a single vineyard bottle, tell me about the vineyard. Uh, in a lot of cases, people do want to know that or what's the the backstory or the history or, or you know, where do I go from here? If I like this, what else might I like? So it's it still relies on the consumer to to pick up the bottle and have that interest level. But what we're seeing is, by and large, that's almost always there. I mean, if you're drinking a bottle in a restaurant, you're like, what is this? I have to know more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, making it as easy as you can for them to find out, you know, more about this wine. Where do I get it? You know, navigate through the regulations that allow it to get onto your doorstop. And, and in our case, hopefully, you know, get it there really quickly. Yeah. So there are lots of opportunities for you in with your CIO hat on and the consumer facing products that you're trying to develop and and how you're going to interact with them. But you also mentioned part two of what you were talking about in your role, kind of those internal analytics, because you also are a producer, a grower and a manufacturer and a producer and distributor your own. So I would love to hear because there's a lot of movement with analytics in in the growing and that you, you talk about the vineyards um, yeah, share yeah. with us some of the things that are going on there yeah I mean I, and, and I should preface this by saying I am more of a technologist and I'm certainly not a viticulturalist so I can't speak to the exact science behind this but I'm also the the son of a farmer and a wine nerd so uh, you know we'll, we'll leave it there this is an amateur's you know opinion of what's of what's happening here but it's really interesting to think about all the 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 metrics that these, you know, the, the people tending the vines and the, and the people, you know, looking after them year after year and doing the pruning and, and then thinking about them through harvest and worrying about frost. And, you know, obviously in Canada, the temperature and the climate can be a challenge for growing certain grapes. And so understanding what's happening in the vineyard from moment to moment is, is crucial. And the viticulturists, like most farmers, will probably just have an innate sense of, of what the temperature is. But, you know, this starts to get really interesting when you're looking at vineyards that maybe, you know, the, a really big vineyard might be very different at the end closest to Lake Ontario, which, you know, has a sort of a microclimate effect of its own than the one at the far, you know, the vines at the grapes at the far end. Or if uh, the vineyard on a slope is going to be very different at the bottom of that slope than it is at the top, the drainage is different, the, the you know, deposits, the glacial deposits that are probably there are different. A half a degree of difference in the temperature can be the difference between frost or not. So I think as we think about ways to gather data that tell us about what's going on in the vineyards, let alone operations or the winemaking side, I haven't even talked about inside the tanks or the, or the barrels yet, but even just in the vineyards themselves, understanding, you know, the, the temperature, the, the wind speed, um, you know, even the soil itself, kind of that might change over time. And certainly in recent years, one of the things we've found we have to pay a lot of attention to is smoke taint from forest fires. And, and wow. certainly this is, 
obviously been very common in California. We've seen a lot of this in Australia and we own wineries and vineyards in the Okanagan Valley, which have suffered from this in the past few years. And so being aware of that as we kind of learn how that affects the grapes, uh, it's you know been very important. So trying to be able to detect things like this in real time, the viticulturalist can't be everywhere all, all at once. And so having that data that can feed back uh, and let them react to it um, is something where I'd say early piloting, you know, here and there, but haven't rolled out super broadly. And so, you know, if you think about the kind of data that can give you and the reactions you can have to that, we're really excited about the potential that offers. Like I said, let alone what happens inside the actual winery when we're you know waiting for the you know the actual wine process to to complete itself over multiple years. Yeah, well, let's jump into that in a minute. But from the farmer perspective or the vintner's perspective, give me the correct terminology <laughs> to use. The, the brain children that are out there with all this knowledge that they've been working in the vineyards for years and years, and they just intuitively know certain things. And, you know, it's hard to think about giving them what they intuitively find out, you know, to get them to verbalize what exactly is it, what, what comes together here? Is it the, the wind, the air, the, you know, the smoke is very obvious, but there's a lot of other things that happen in those little microclimates, like you said, that might be in different parts of the vineyard, depending on how large it is. And certainly across Canada where you grow. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, very, very different. And uh, as I said, even within the regions, the, the south end of the Okanagan Valley, where it's, it's not desert, but it's semi-arid scrub, is very different than in the north end of the valley. And the bottom of the valley floor is very different than the top, right? And so, again, to the point of not being able to, to be everywhere all at once, having that data come in and, and you know maybe point them to maybe which grapes need to be harvested earlier than others. Maybe which ones, because all those factors you mentioned, you know, the, the temperature, the, the degree days, so how much sunlight they've gotten over how long, all those things factor into when the grapes are ready to be picked, right, uh, and ready to be harvested. And so, you know, being able to predict what the bricks level, you know, the sugar level in the grape is, all these things, you know, what we've seen from the the folks that are out doing this, the more data they have at their fingertips, the better, you know, their, their intuition is usually right, but I think they won't turn away data if they have it. So, so yeah, having that data about the differences, even within the vineyards or the regions, and certainly across Canada, where we have very, very different climates and the different, you know, grape growing areas that we, where we grow is, is incredibly important. Yeah. So fast forward, I mean, I'd be excited if I were them because it's really a confirmation of what they're already making decisions. And then they can look at the data to confirm that. And that could potentially save your company a lot of money making the wrong decision about when to harvest or which grapes are ready. Uh, just to have that that double confirmation, you know, now logging in technology wise, we have two factor authentication everywhere. It's kind of like two factor authentication within the grape grape harvesting to know uh, how to best or, you know, what needs to happen with them. I think that's really exciting. So once you move from, I guess, and I also fast forward in my brain to having all this data, you know, that mega data, once you have years of data and the outcomes of those, because then you'll know, here's what we made decision-wise based on this data. And here's what kind of grape we got and what kind of wine we were able to make. And then you can, with all of that, you know, looking back when when you get forward, talking about future food, you'll be able to go back and um, maybe duplicate some of those more popular wines that you were able to produce because that's the that's the science of it, right? The- it, it, it is, and 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 it depends on even on the type of wine that we're selling. So some wines that we sell, people want the exact same thing in that bottle year after year, vintage after vintage. I think as you get to maybe 
in my case, the nerdier end of the of the wine collectors, you kind of want variation. You kind of want to do what that year told you to do, right? So uh, that you know, there's there's not that much intervention in a lot of cases in those wines. You want it to tell you what what the soil and even the air told you that year. And so, so I think, you know, that, that's, to, but to your point, I mean, there are some cases where that's absolutely what we'd be trying to do is, is, you know, kind of keep that consistency year over year and, and adjust and maybe pick earlier or later, or, you know, change the mix of a blend or that sort of thing. Right. So again, they do that incredibly well and very intuitively today, but there's so much effort that goes into that. And again, arming them with more data to be able to do that just seems like, you know, it's, that's the least I can do, I think. So as I mentioned today, they're doing this in limited pilots anyway, but I, I'd love to see that scale. But that's the interesting part. To scale that technology isn't something that our core system was contemplated to ever do. You know, yeah. years ago when we turned it on, it was never thought about live, you know, streaming telemetric data coming in from the vineyards in that sort of uh, volume. And so that's that's a challenge that I'll have to take that and turn that into actionable intelligence that, that the viticulture and winemakers can use. Well, and I think it's okay as long as those that are involved in the intuitive and more art part of it uh, are not are feeling like the science is supporting them rather than overriding them. You yep, know what yep. I'm saying? Oh, it, absolutely. Cooperation I mean, because yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I mean, the the winemakers um, and the folks working in the vineyards. I mean, they know. Um, you know, they they kick the dirt, they sniff it, they look at the plants, they touch them every day. I mean, they know that the data is a, a support mechanism to them, but. Again, as the son of a farmer, I would I would never um, dare to actually suggest that the data should tell them what to do. Um, you know, so much of their heart and soul is is in the dirt and in the vines, um, and then inside the actual winery itself. Um, that you know, they they're the they're the it's their passion that brings it to life every year. So I'm, you know, all I can hope to be is a is a supplement to that. Great. Well, it sounds like you're doing a good job supplying that, but let's move inside of the winery when you get to actually making the wine and tell us what's going on in that area. Yeah, a few things. So, you know, the production facilities, if they're white wines that are made in season, they go kind of, you know, pretty quickly into the bottle. And then depending on how long we age them, uh, that's, you know, there's a whole barrel management aspect that kind of happens there. And then because we're blending wine from all over the world, uh, even that is controlled inside our ERP. So we actually have a, a wine blending module that actually helps the winemakers keep track of, you know, what's in this tank. So much of what's in this tank goes into this bottle and this bottle. And then, you know, then even the bottling systems themselves are, I mean, they look like spaceships now. Um, so uh, so the, the data that we can get from those about the efficiency of the line and the, and the error rate and things like that are all things that, again, more data that we can pick up to feed our operations team, um, which, you know, which they love. They're a very data-driven bunch, uh, those folks. So once it comes inside in the production facilities, uh, again, more data that we can feed them, including even things like how full is the tank, you know, kind of radar sensors, you know, detecting how full the tank is, or if there's anything bad happening in there, if you see temperature move where it's not supposed to move or uh, carbon dioxide levels, you know, so you can kind of figure out all these different things that to maybe use sensors to feed back which again, they're detecting on a pretty regular basis anyway, but in the spirit of you can't be everywhere, um, it's again, another another bit of help that maybe we can provide it someday. Yeah, you can't be everywhere and much more efficient to be able to have the data put up into a dashboard for the person who knows that maybe used to manually go measure some of those things uh, to be able to look at it and then go where there needs to be change. And But yeah, you yeah. can have status quo with the other things. I just think that's a really efficient use of that person's brain power. Them, the information okay. they need. Let's talk about the making consumers happy. Like, so what's our Tierra Wines 
planning in the future? I, I, we didn't talk about, you have stores all across the country. Uh, across Ontario. Yeah. Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. And you're looking to expand. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, that getting that direct consumer relationship really is the focus, right? And, and it's, it's getting back to our roots. I, I'd say, you know, we have the, the oldest estate winery in the country, which is Inniskillen and, and still world renowned and fast, fantastic winery. And, and, you know, all of our wineries established themselves by, you know, creating those connections with, with customers as they walked in or as they had a bottle in a restaurant and wanted to go check it out. And they, they went to learn about it and fell in love with it and joined the wine club um, and have been loyal customers for some of them, you know, 10, 20 years. And so, so really establishing that connection in a more digital world is, is sort of the tricky part. And how do you use technology to reach them in, in times again, like during the pandemic, when you, you can't get to them otherwise, or it's more difficult to get to them. And so, so that's really been a focus for us is how do you bring these, not just the wines themselves, but even the, the vineyards and the winemakers, how do you bring their stories forward and help people feel really, you know, connected because, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our market here in Ontario is, is in Toronto, which is one to two hours away from, from the growing regions like Prince Edward County and Niagara. And it's, it's really close, but it can feel far. And so uh, we want to remind people that, you know, we sit in the middle of this amazing uh, wine producing region that makes, in my opinion, incredibly underrated globally competitive wines. Uh, and we should be proud of them. And, and we want to really bring that back to the forefront. So not just making an e-commerce experience, but to help educate people about this is the amazing stuff that's coming from just around the lake that you you know really should understand more about because it's i mean it's it's kind of like magic if you ask me I'm, I'm a little romantic about wine i think but um it's this incredibly complex living thing and, and it's just such a such a privilege really to be able to use technology to try to get more people you know into this story and, and understand it and to understand what's there so so certainly it's that that desire is going to come into effect it's always been in the estates they've always been just amazing you know, ambassadors of the wines when you visit the actual wine estates. Um, but yeah, we have um, over 100 retail stores in Ontario. You know, we're obviously trying to, I'd say, re repair and improve the online experience that, we, that we've that we got with our customers. And that's a nationwide thing, again, with the caveat that you have to be careful about where what you can ship where. Um, but we want to bring that to more consumers uh, across Canada and the provinces where we can do it. So um, we've got such a great story to tell in so many different brands that we think appeal to so many people that that's, you know, how do you, how do you make this a, a digestible and understandable ex experience and journey for people and, and get them the products that they love? Well said. And I also think that the, the people want to know the story. We consumers are more and more want to know where our, our wines have come from, like you were saying. Uh, I, did I read on your website that you actually have wine making kits or some ability for consumers to, act, yeah. to try it out themselves? Uh, we do. We have a winemaker kit business. We actually sell to other companies that then you know have the facilities where you'd go and sort of do this. And, and it's, I think, the longest I think it's the oldest part of the company actually um but it, but yeah so we actually have all the way from from that to you know the 600 a bottle tab that comes from california so 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 you know we kind of have the entire journey depending on how you want to interact with wine how you you know you want to make your own like we kind of enable that kind of through a b2b mechanism if you want to try the sort of entry level if you're kind of getting introduced to the world of wine it's there if you're a hardcore collector and you want the double diamond that just won all the awards or you want um schrader it's it's there for you right so so it's 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 really amazing to be able to help if they want to go on that journey i mean we can take them pretty far on that journey yeah 
Well, I think that's a great way to meet the consumer experience need. I mean, they're asking for it. And and I didn't realize it was one of the oldest parts or the oldest part of your company. That's really cool. So our listeners and viewers in Canada, check out our Terra Wines and get your winemaking kit or check out their stores because it sounds like they're really uh, wanting to partner with you. And Dan, is there anything else you want to share with our audience before we go today? You told us the the whole story about Artera, and it's a really great one. I, I loved hearing it. Uh, I, I really, I think I've been here for about 18 months after spending 20 odd years in the banking industry. And I have to say, this is quite a bit more interesting or at least fun on a, on a regular basis. But what's really been fantastic, you know, banking, again, this very ancient thing that has now had a technology lens put on it and wine, you know, an even more ancient thing that now has a technology lens being put on it. And, it, and it's all in service of doing this very kind of ancient and, and historied thing, uh, really. And, and I think the the balance is to, you know, help improve people's understanding of it and, and love of it when it can be sometimes an overwhelming category to get into. It's not a simple category. It can be. But it can also be this, this beautifully complex thing to get into. And, and that really is how we're trying to use technologies to help pull people into this world where they can kind of feel immersed in it if they want and, and really enjoy it to whichever you know, degree they, they feel is, is right for them. So, so it's been a fun journey. Um, and this is, this is how I love using technology. It's never technology for technology's sake. It's, it's how do I help a consumer tomorrow? And, and this, you know, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to try to do. Yeah. And you have totally romanticized the business of winemaking for me today. So I hope you did that for our listeners as well. <laughs> I'm just intrigued and want to know more. I really enjoyed hearing the story about Artera and I appreciate you being here. I also want to thank our sponsor, Farm to Plate, a software company enabling better food supply chain management. You can find out more at farm to plate. .io. I'm Pam Line Miller, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 